This episode of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast has been brought to you by our sponsors at Sweet Cheetah Publicity. Sweet Cheetah is a PR collective that values people over profit. They put a different spin on public relations by working primarily with friends and using all profits to aid charitable organizations. With a roster that includes Jawbox, The New Amsterdam's, Brainiac, Get Some, Funeral Date, Damien Dunn, and many more artists, record labels, and podcasts. Sweet Cheetah. That's a great PR cohort. You can find them on social media by simply searching Sweet Cheetah PR, and they'll be there. He's been Tim. I've been Peter. And Sweet Cheetah has been beautiful. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. I'm your host, Peter, and I am still here. And tonight it is my pleasure, my honor, my privilege to give to you Michael Popeye Vogel saying a far side and of Calling Hours, his new project. Calling Hours have just released their new EP on Revelation Records entitled Say Less. You'll notice there's no video to this specific interview tonight. Michael and I are going to do another one. He just didn't feel like being on camera this particular night a few months back when we had this conversation. We were supposed to go out a week later and I didn't get a chance to go because I got sick and I feel bad about it because a bunch of our mutual friend group were supposed to do a nice hang and I missed it because I'm a homebody schmuck anyway this was a great convo uh, I really enjoyed Michael slash Popeye uh, very much great guy massive talent and obviously he's an icon in our community here's a little more of curtain call off of the new EP behind Michael's voice comes directly from the members of the band Don't Sleep and the Very Americans, who are a very Pennsylvania hardcore band. This record would easily sit next to both Farside and Don't Sleep and all of Michael's former bands, including Ice. Um, There's a, a, a definite lineage there that 
is being celebrated with this record while also doing something quite a bit different with their collective sounds. And it's just such a pleasure to sit and, and take this in, especially knowing Michael and, you know, these talented human beings that are getting together and making Pennsylvania a viable hardcore option again is probably the only way I can put it. Uh, we are starting to come back on the map again after having fallen off after Cold World kind of stopped playing and, you know, title fight taking an indefinite hiatus. Uh, we're still swinging here. We still have great bands here, and this is a prime example of that. Um, the Scranton area still lives, folks, and we cement it in this episode. Popeye is a Scrantonian, straight up. West Coast be damned, he's one of ours now, and we're not giving him back. <laughs> if you like what you hear on this show, please rate, subscribe, tell your friends, share some stuff on some social media platforms, do all of that, and I'll be deeply in your debt. Without further ado, I give to you Michael Popeye Vogelsang on the book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. Hello there. Hello. Hey, how you doing? I'm well. How are you, Michael? I'm great, Pete. I thought I had my headphones plugged into the right place. Let me. Uh... No, we uh, we we just picked up a, a a foster cat like two minutes ago. <laughs> it's, oh. a, it's a little little chaotic, so I was like, Arr! so I apologize for uh, not getting everything ready. <laughs> no, no worries at all. Take your time. If you got to set things up, you could take your time. Absolutely. I just put my son, my four-year-old to bed, so I have time. Oh, yeah, been that long. Yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen you in a few years now. It's been a few, yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying, but you know, you're trying to scramble and trying to get it all together, and especially when you have like rescue animals all over the house. I have six currently, so I completely. Oh yeah. Have, yeah, yeah. We have five dogs, five cats, all rescue. Oh man, yeah. We we uh, we we have. We we're afraid to get dogs because uh, well we we have ten cats so we're worried that that's going to be a bit of a problem. <laughs> yeah, I could see how that could go south pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. How do you get five cats and five dogs together though? That's crazy. Um, you know it, it. They just had to get thrown into the fire, and yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. That they, they just had to learn how to work together. Yeah, work it out, or you know, it's it's jailhouse rules in this house. Sure. All right. Oh, blessed Z. Oh, happy. <laughs> oh, happy day. <laughs> well, now, and and now I can, I can hear you better as well because then there's you know the the birds are chirping and the spring is in the air and uh, you know let's, let's yeah the world it, the world's once again alive. I know. If we're, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Phew. <laughs> so, are, are you harnessing your chi? <laughs> it's just the ridiculousness of, of, of life. It's just like, ah. <laughs> like, so, like, you think, like, oh, this is going to be the, the simplest thing possible. And then, no, here's 27 other things that are going to happen, like, right now. And it's a, 
and there's nothing to complain about. You, you got a good life, but sometimes it's like, all I want to do is just this one thing, but I have to do these 27 other things before I can oh, yeah. get to this one little thing. Yeah. yeah, you can't just press play and go. That that's too easy. That's no, way you can't. <laughs> and I and I and I especially shouldn't sound like I'm complaining because I don't have dogs in the house like you do, or a child, a human child. So you you must be running around like a like a crazy person all day. The, you know something? Uh, at 47 years of age, the thing that keeps me most youthful is my four year old. Uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I would. My daughter's twenty-two. I would just be the curmudgeonly, shitty, <laughs> shitty old dad figure, you know. But now I'm like, I'm watching children's shows again, and and you know, dumbing down my uh, my verbiage and diction, and I've become, <laughs> you know, somewhat le- uh, somewhat more inarticulate and a uh-huh. lot more fun to be around. Okay. I- <laughs> You know what? I can I can understand that because um, in a related sort of way, that's how. I mean, of course, you can't speak. Well, I mean, you you try to, but you cannot speak to an animal as if they were a human being. Like they're not going to really comprehend. And so you you do the baby voice, and you're like, "Oh, who's the best girl in the world?" Uh huh. But it, but it does kind of yeah, it does kind of bring a little something out of you, and then. And then you think, well, wait a minute, who is the best girl in the world? You are, you know, and then you get really, you get kind of fired up about it. So, yeah, I, 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 I think I understand what you're saying. <laughs> I think I do, at least. No, no, you're, you're getting it. I mean, it, it sadly, it, it kind of finds its way out of your system the older they get and you become, you know. Uh, a little more attenuated to the fact that this little person is going to love you no matter what. But in the beginning, you try really hard. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 I, uh, not having kids of my own, I, I can literally only imagine, but um, I, I have been, uh, I have been in the bleachers to watch other people go through this uh, many times. So I'm not going to say that I have any kind of insight about it, but uh, um you're not the first person that's told me <laughs> something like that. And so it's, it's kind of interesting for me to just, uh, you know, kind of absorb it and just, you know, reflect on it a little bit. And, yeah. No, it's great. It's, it's, it's wonderful that you, uh, you had the guts to actually attempt to raise a child in the world, you know, like a, like an actual human being child. Um, so kudos to you, man. Appreciate that, man. <laughs> it is, it is, a an act of, uh, I, I I hasten to call it heroism. It's certainly selfish. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I mean, the world we're currently living in, bringing another person into this mess seems a little selfish, but, uh, you know, we're, we're know. all we're all geared to that uh, for the most part. You know, you get married, you have kids. I mean, we got that drilled down our throats our whole lives. True. Um, well, I, I, I will say that... Uh, uh, I've always maintained a very close relationship with, with my mother and um, I will call her once in a while and just say, Hey mom, I just want to apologize for everything. And, yep. and, the, and the funny thing is she, without blinking an eye, she'll say, thanks. I accept your apology. And then like, <laughs> we're just going to, she's like, yeah, you did, but uh, we're cool. <laughs> She doesn't even mince words like no, no. you were fine. You were nope. great. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> we 
running around in hardcore bands when you're a teenager and stuff that didn't make me want to like you know say the rosary 27 times a oh, day God, or anything, yeah but... no she hated it she never she never understood it but <laughs> um but uh but but then eventually she she became my uh one of my biggest <laughs> fans i don't think she could name a single song that i've ever written or a lyric that i've ever written but she always wants to know what i'm doing and I, I think I think once you get to that point where you can demonstrate that I am in fact a responsible adult and not a burden on society, then it kind of becomes okay. Um, <laughs> but it but it takes a while, you know. Like uh, um, like like hardcore was uh, not that I'm that much older than you, but uh, if you think about it, punk rock and hardcore are compared to many other genres of music is still kind of it's young like it hasn't been around for that long no. uh so like in the in the early to mid 80s when i was a teenager and y you know you had these weird bands and like it was punk like hardcore like barely even existed then um you know, straight edge and posicore barely existed, so it was really just punk, and everybody just looked like a like the like you crawled out of a gutter at that point. <laughs> uh, so I could understand why parents wouldn't necessarily be too keen on your look or the kind of stuff that you were into. Um, but then once it once it started to transition into hardcore, I think it still took a while for parents, or at least at least me and my friends or I should say my friends and me um, when we were kind of getting into the more clean cut kind of stuff, it, it still didn't really make sense to a lot of people because it, because the, the music was even crazier. So that yeah. was the thing, like, cause, cause you look like you could practically pass for Mormons, but then the music you were listening to was, was like shredding your eardrums. So, um, but like that old, that that thing in the eighties though, like the late eighties when my mom would be watching Donahue, right? And hardcore is on Donahue in the Oh late yeah. 80s. And like I'm 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 meeting I remember, Harry. I remember that episode. <laughs> like I'm Harry and I are thirteen years old, okay, and I'm getting ready to go and meet him uh three miles from where I live to go to a hardcore show, and my mom's like, Oh, you're not going. Well, mom, Harry's gonna be there. Well, I don't care who's gonna be there this is happening. These kids are beating each other up and, but mom, they, they don't do drugs. Yeah. Right. They don't do drugs. They beat the shit out of each other. Look at this. <laughs> Wait. So let me get this straight. You were dumb enough to tell your mom that you were actually going to a show. Cause the a, rest of it, the rest I was of us lied. I was in a band though. Like there was, there was no getting away with it. I'm sneaking a bass out of the house. Like there's no, like you could still lie about that. I'm you lie. I, I never knew how to lie. I don't know how to lie now. My <laughs> wife makes fun of me for it. I'm terrible at it. I'm such a Catholic. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. All right. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, that that was. It, it, I admit. I noticed that it's different now because um, now that people from our generation have kids that are old enough to have been going to shows for a long time, and then. And then I hear these from my friends who have kids and they're like, yeah, I took my daughter to, you know, her first, to her first punk show. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, 
like you had to lie. You had to say, oh, no, I'm just going over to my bro's house. We're just going to hang out, maybe go to Denny's or something, drink some coffee. And then you would, you know, go into the CD's neighborhood and go to the CD's shows and stuff. So it trips me out that, and I think it's wonderful that in a way it has become so acceptable as part of like a, a family structure of short of sorts, if you know what I mean. Sure. Um, but uh, at the same time, it's, you know that these kids are making fun of us because we're still, we're now the old guys. And it's just like, you know, whatever dad. <laughs> yeah. They call us boomers now. Yeah. Damien Moyal from as, as friends, Russ and I just talked about this, about how hardcore it's always been youth culture. Right. But who, yeah. how, who's to say that you can't be a great band in your 30s 40s and 50s we don't know because there aren't that many examples of it yet but who's to say that's not the case too uh it's it's kind of tough to tough to call yeah um i think your best bet is to hope to uh if you're going to try to do a band when you're in your 30s and 40s and 50s um try to find an audience that's the same age as you because you're you're probably not gonna you're you're not gonna rope in like 15 year olds who are like hey man check out this new sound no it's not a new sound bro (laughs) but in the in the same token who's got a new sound at this point we're that's right that's a good point we're all still ripping off you know (laughs) chuck berry and the bad brains and you know there's there's so many so few uh touchstones for us to glean any sort of uh you know sound from any any kind of vitality from yeah we're all ripping each other off it's just how we arrange the chords <laughs> differently and you know going back to like you know i'm gonna quote hold on i'm gonna quote you on that okay we're all ripping we're all ripping each other off that sure. is sure words have never been spoken yeah because <laughs> yeah, uh, after a while you you're it's like I don't know what to write about anymore. I can't. I can't think of any more riffs. No, good point. Yeah, but you can still just take three chords, two chords, and throw something together. And as long as you mean it, it's still relevant. Yes. You know what I mean? True. that's that's kind of what really set it all apart sure in the beginning you still had more of a hardcore background with the music but you weren't you weren't straight yelling you know what i mean there was there was melodicism involved so once that kind of comes into the picture the landscape really changes i think on the west coast i mean i wasn't there i was on the east coast we had lifetime for that but you know yeah it it that there was that magical period where you could be talented and still be in a hardcore band. Where, where did that like change come for you when you decided, okay, now I'm just going to concentrate on not just being angry, but you know, really singing. Um, uh, I, I was really only in two bands before Farside started. I was in a, a band called bottom line. Mm-hmm. Um, 
just, just some friends of mine in, in high school and we never played a show. Um, and then I was in a band called Borderline with, uh, with uh, Dennis Remsing on drums who did conversion records. And that was, and that was like the first like kind of real band that I did where we did a seven inch and we actually played a few shows. And then Farside came along. Um, I wouldn't say that there was any kind of uh, like conscious effort. I mean, I was 19 years old, man. I mean, how many thoughts do you think I was actually having going through my brain? I, 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 I had just graduated high school. I was working at a gas station, um, you know, stumbling my way through my first year of college. I, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking big by, by any means. So I, I couldn't say, I couldn't say that I was, you know, like had these wild dreams. In fact, I had a, I had to actually like beg literally beg uh rob hayworth the founding guitar player for farside to let me try out to be the singer um uh he and i were friends we went to high school together and um and he lived close by the gas station where i worked and so he would come in and we were friends anyway and he came by one day and and said hey i'm doing this new band uh, you know we're kind of doing this more melodic kind of thing and i was like oh cool <laughs> He said, yeah, we don't have a singer. And I just said, hey, I, I can sing. I'd never sang for a band before. Um, <laughs> and, and, I, and I said, yeah, can I try out? I'd, I'd love to. I just wanted to do something. I just wanted to do anything. And he looked at me with these glaring eyes and said, you can't sing Popeye. And I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I said, well, yeah, I'm pretty sure I can't. You know, and, I, and my experience of singing was, you know, singing along to the radio in the car or doing, uh, you know, my brother and sister and I on road trips in the backseat of the station wagon singing Barbara Ann and working at the harmonies. And so I literally had to, like, beg him, like, please, dude, I promise you, I know how to sing. Like, if you give me a practice tape, I can write some lyrics and do some stuff and... um and then he came back a couple of days later with a, a practice tape. And when he handed it to me, he looked at me with this really judgmental look. And once again said, can you really sing Popeye? And I said, yeah, dude, I swear I can, I, I can try, I can sing. So, um, and then we went to, went to practice and we, you know, jammed it out for a little while and then it just kind of went from there. But uh, I can honestly tell you that, there was no bigger thought in my head other than I just want to be in a band. Like I just wanted to be in bands at that point, um, whether they were good or not, whether it was going to go anywhere or not. Um, and I didn't even have uh, dreams of, uh, you know, ever, ever calling myself a musician per se. I just wanted to play in bands. That was it. I just wanted to. I just wanted to play. I just wanted to be part of what everybody else was doing. That was it. And you know, it just so happened you're in a scene where we all kind of get the opportunity, in some way, shape, or form, to contribute to it. Be it a band, be it you know a fanzine, any of that. Like that was kind of the whole point of the rarefied group that we all find ourselves in in this thing. You know, it's, yeah. It, it it's not homogenous. Everybody has their own little thing that they contribute. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and that and that's what that's what makes it more than just a scene. That's what makes it a community. 
Yeah. Or at least that's how I've always felt about it. Jeez, uh, um, like, like uh, man, and I'm sure you can say the same thing. Like the the innumerable amount of friends that you've made over the years, just because of all of this, mm-hmm. like you, you, that's way more valuable than any amount of money that you could make or um, the amount of people that could show up to a show. Like you could get 10 people at a show or you could get a thousand people at a show, but uh, you know, those connections that you make with people um, that always made it feel to me like it was something you know, more than just writing songs or booking shows, like everybody had a part in it. Just like you said, you did zines or somebody was dumb enough to book a show (laughs) 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 or, or, um, you know, or, uh, or, or, you know, make t-shirts for somebody or make stickers or, uh, patches or whatever like it was it's it's all one it's all one big thing you know that's what kind of blew my mind too like you know joey solomini is the drummer of the band that i don't oh. even know if we, i don't know if we're still oh, even joey. in a band because we don't we don't do anything anymore because of covid and all oh, that joey <laughs> yeah oh joey god i love joey <laughs> he's great he's amazing but I, you know, I, I'm over at his house and then you just come walking in. I'm like, Jesus Christ, that's Popeye from Farside. What the fuck is he doing <laughs> in Pennsylvania? Scranton, Pennsylvania. What is he doing here? Well, uh, well, I, I mean, and my wife and I were cons- like that day when we, when we went over there to, to that party, we were that morning, we were like rolling up like vegan spring rolls. Cause we were like, yeah, let's make sure that we bring something nice to the party. And, Cause you know, cause. <laughs> You know, because Joey and Jill are really, they're nice people and, and you know, Harry and Robin are going to be there and all that. And yeah, you know, we just, you know, I, I think that's another thing that's great about uh, the hardcore community is that there aren't supposed to be rock stars. Like you're just, you're all like on equal footing, if you know what I mean. Sure. Um, yeah. And, and that, that was always uh, something that I always loved about it admittedly I, I get a little shy when um wh- I, I mean I, I have a sense of pride but at the same time i get shy when people are like oh you're that it's like it's like hey dick what's with these spring rolls you know i, I would i would i would prefer to have that conversation <laughs> it's like well you know we were trying to put in some pea shoots and they didn't really work out you know um <laughs> instead you get me with a baby in my arms going it's you <laughs> <laughs> but i remember that moment as well and it was uh, it was you know of course i remember that but like you know th- there's it's great to me that you never kind of let go of the music thing really either you know be it doing the solo thing and now you have calling hours right yeah so that's that's the dudes from Don't Sleep and uh, Very Americans, right? Yes. Um, uh, also, uh, the commercials. Um, yeah those those guys have those guys have got some serious Harrisburg roots for sure, as far oh, as yeah. music is concerned. Oh yeah. Um, it, it just it struck me that they just like you are these consummate musicians you know they're constantly doing something they're they're 
fingers are still always in the mix of making something, which I find admirable because that's what I try to do. I don't know how well I do it sometimes. But <laughs> I'm with I, you, I'm man. St <laughs> I'm, still in the, I'm still in the mix, you know what I mean? But how did that kind of all fall together for you? I mean, of course, you showed up in PA, so that's like half the battle. Yeah. Um, well, a a as you said, they are consummate musicians. Um, they have known each other forever and they have all been playing together for so long in many different iterations and different bands and different projects. Um, the commercials were doing a reunion show. This is about a year and a half ago. Um, and Jeremy Weiss, who's a promoter in Lancaster mm -hmm. was putting the show together and he and I are old friends. And so apparently the, somehow the word got out that oh papa lives in pennsylvania now do you think he'd be interested in coming out and playing a, a a solo show with us and jeremy said yeah i'll reach out to him and see what's up and then that turned into do you think he would be interested in playing a few full band far side songs with us and i'm i, I have a hard time saying no so i was like that sounds like a terrible idea let's do it <laughs> <laughs> i've never met you guys before I am not familiar with your work at all, but let's do it because <laughs> why the heck not? Um, and uh, and so, yeah, so I, I went to the show and we ran through the sound check. I wanted to take a nap afterwards because it was exhausting because I hadn't played Farsight songs with a full band in God knows how long. Um, but then we played and it was awesome. We were hanging out afterwards and I we were, we were just kind of chatting and I was talking to uh, Tom the guitar player and I was just asking him like, so what, what's don't sleep up to? And he said, well, not much right now, but we still get together and we still write songs and we'd just like to play together. We got a bunch of songs that wouldn't really work for don't sleep, but you know, we don't have a singer and possibly it's, it's probably the best and worst decision I ever made in my life. I raised my hand and I said, <laughs> can I, can I get a tryout? <laughs> <laughs> Tom said, yeah, we'll send you some demos. And, and then I went home thinking, what the hell did I just commit to? And then uh, they started sending me demos and the songs were great. I was super into them. Uh, Brian McTurnan, who had worked with them on the Don't Sleep record and had stayed with touch in touch with them, Brian and I are very old, dear friends. And they reached one of them reached out to him and said, Hey, we're just to let you know, we're doing this thing. And uh, apparently Popeye is going to sing for us. And Brian, so I was told Brian immediately said, book a studio and let's start working on this like now. And, <laughs> and so, you know, that I of course waited until the last minute to start scribbling out lyrics and writing vocal lines. And then, we spent a few days in Harrisburg um, at Rock Mill Studios and uh, we banged out a few songs and um, and then it just, yeah, just kind of went from there. And then we did a couple more demo sessions and then uh, we sent it over to Revelation Records and uh, they said they were into it. And so we and so then we did the quote unquote real recording and now we have a record coming out on Revelation sometime this fall and we still can't really get our heads around it <laughs> like 
like we're going to be on Revelation Records as if I hadn't already done a bunch of stuff on Revelation Records, but yeah. I, but I'm still still so much in love with Revelation Records, and Jordan is still one of my closest friends. That uh, uh, it's like I'll, I'll be like doing the most rent, like I'll be scooping out a litter box, and I'm like, holy crap, man, you got a record coming out on Rev. <laughs> the fuck. <laughs> There's, <clears throat> and this is something that I think people who don't understand about the whole hardcore scene, having that star with the R in it on your oh, record man. It is so important that when Siv put out their album on at Lava Atlantic, they made sure the Revelation star was still on the back of the record. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. They made sure of it because that was, that's like, that's a badge of honor, man. That's that's something that not not everybody gets to say they were on Rev. You know, I know, I know. I, I, I promise it has never been lost on me. Like, uh, you know, um, you know, growing up and um, and especially before Revelation moved out to the West Coast, it was uh, like you 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 were just like desperately, anxiously awaiting for the next thing that had the R with the star that would show up at, at the, at your local punk rock record store. Mm -hmm. And you know, there, there, there would almost be like a fist fight to see who was going <laughs> to come up, come up with the allowance money to see who could buy this record. And you, you knew nothing about the band, but if it had that thing, like, cause they, they had a reputation and, uh, um, and over the years, having to having the the pleasure to get to know Jordan as a very close friend, knowing what a great guy he is. Uh, it, like it, it made it all the more prideful for me to be able to work with a guy that, uh, that was, you know, he was always honest and upfront and um, understated, but at the same time uh, always stuck to his guns about everything. And, and you, you, it was impossible to not, as a hardcore kid, it was impossible to not develop a kinship with that and feel like, as we were talking about earlier, feel like you were part of something and part of a community and part of something that was kind of raising its middle finger to the music industry in a way and doing sure. your own thing. You know? Because you didn't get that with like Victory Records. Victory was, uh, they were a mini corporate machine where, you know, somebody like, you know, Jordan or even new age records when they were still around. Well, they're around again now, but yeah, you know, like conversion records, all like all of those labels, that was, that meant a little something else. Yeah, definitely. There, there was a, there was an idealism to it for sure. Um, and I, you know, and I, I, I can't speak to, um, to other, uh, labels that maybe wanted to, um, you know, work out deals with uh, other distribution companies, um, but uh, but at the same time, and maybe this is as we spoke about earlier. Maybe it is selfish, but I, and maybe it's a sin. But I felt that sense of pride uh, being involved with something that tried to keep it as grassroots as possible. Um, you know, not you know, not overcharging for things and trying to keep the costs as low as possible. And, 
Um, yeah, and just uh, maybe you know, put, putting like a maybe in a way putting the tip of one of your pinkies as a fingerprint on something <laughs> bigger, but at least you could say, yeah, I was kind of involved in that a little bit. <laughs> I think you're being modest though, because in, in all honesty, uh, going back to, you know, the early nineties when Rochambeau came out, that was easily in the top five most important records of that era of my life. Oh wow! Be because it was, you were oh, you were actually writing lyrics that weren't just, this is what your lifestyle should be. I don't do this. I don't do that. Neither should you. Like it wasn't. It wasn't really about that. To me, it had more in common with uh, Bruce Springsteen or a Bob Dylan because there huh. were stories that had an emotional impact that weren't didactic or heavy-handed. It was really just you know, someone screaming into the ether and hoping they get an echo in return. That's the way I processed it. But I, you know, I overanalyze everything. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> As do I, you know, so but I, I, how, how much time do you got? <laughs> you said you already put your, uh, your kid to bed. So yeah, he's, he, he's out. So I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Good. <laughs> um, well, I will, Here's the thing. Uh, I I wished that I could have written those songs that you were describing. Like, <laughs> but I and I tried a few times, and I realized that I just wasn't very good at it. Um, I I just wasn't very good at it. Uh, um, you know, like like oh my god, like I I wanted to be I wanted to be Kevin Seconds. And Milo Ackerman at the same time, mm -hmm. and uh, and I was lousy. <laughs> I tried <laughs> to be either one of them, um, and especially with the with the uh, with the youth crew stuff. Like I I I, I could I, I could never find a way to like we all had the same thoughts, like we all had the same ideas, and I couldn't figure out a an interesting way to convey that hey man racism is wrong mm -hmm. all right <laughs> like i don't know what i'm doing um so i just started to uh and i don't even know if it was really a conscious effort i just i just said okay you know what go to denny's get a cup of coffee get a fresh pack of cigarettes because you could smoke inside at that yeah. time yes you could um, so for like hours on end, and I would just take out a journal, and I would just start scribbling things down. It was like journaling. That you know, that's kind of what it what it was. Just uh, writing out what's going on. It was usually, um, you know, having a crush on a girl, or um, you know, feeling like you weren't uh, as good as you could be, or anything. Just write it down and. And put it out there, and then you show up to band practice, hoping to God that you're not going to get laughed at. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so I, I guess it, it did become more more introspective lyrically. Uh, but I, I can assure you, I was not trying to reinvent the wheel by any means. 
I was no. just trying to, I, I just wanted to show up to practice with something. <laughs> <laughs> but the, but the way it. it came off to me is like, you know, you're dealing with topics of like feeling invisible and, you know, not having any sort of, you know, presence in life as far as these, these women that, you know, you have a crush on and they don't see you and you're trying to, you know, find your way in an, in an adult world when you're not quite an adult yet and these themes recur throughout that record. And, and I think that's why it resonated so much with me because that's fuck. That's where I was at at that time. Wow. I, 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 I'm glad it resonated with you so well. That means a lot that it, uh, that it mattered. Oh, I still have my, my, uh, far side ball cap from back then. That is not, <laughs> it, it's not the color that it was when I bought it. I, I can assure you of that. Was it a black one or a, a maroon one? It was a black one. Oh, uh, okay. What color is it now? It's, it's almost like an orange burgundy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a little sun bleaching, a little sun bleaching, a little bit of my, my, my body's horrible pH, I guess. Maybe. <laughs> And that's the one with the embroidered logo on the top? With the embroidered logo, wow. yeah. Wow. We didn't sell too many of those. I remember uh, I remember uh, Rev was like, hey, let's start doing embroidery. And then they started doing it and then realized, hey, this is really expensive. No one's <laughs> buying it. <laughs> All right. You know, just, so, so there, yeah, you didn't see too – well, I mean, I didn't want to think that why, are nobody, why is nobody buying Farside hats? It was because, like, well, it costs like seventeen dollars to buy a freaking baseball cap. Like back in, you know, ninety three. Like no one's going to spend that much money when you know you, you didn't have to. Yeah, um, the only reason <laughs> I, I did is because I had a job back then. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason I had it. Hey, Pete, I'm stoked that you still have it. That I, makes me so happy that you still have it. I'm a. Pack it's probably rat. disgusting and. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you if you ever put that on your head, you don't know what's going to happen. You'll probably you'll probably go into an LSD trip or something because of all the sweat and garbage. And, but uh, and narcotics that were in my system back then. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why it really changed color, right? Yeah, I should smoke it and see what happens. What do you think? <laughs> Set it up, man. Make a bonfire out of it. I, I might. I mean, you can't sell that to anybody. Who's going to buy that? You'd be surprised. It's disgusting. You'd be no, surprised. Come on. You'd be surprised. Hey, here's a filthy hat that probably has, like, uh, parasites <laughs> and stuff. I had dreadlocks when I first bought it, so there's definitely something crawling inside. Oh, God. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I have all of this shit. I don't throw this stuff away. It's terrible. I have a, a, my, my wife calls me a hoarder but if if you were to look behind me there's over five thousand records behind me right now that prove oh, that man. I, i've got mental problems well our um our policy is if you have a place to if you have room for it you can keep it mm -hmm. i still have i still have every single shirt that i ever bought at a show or a swap meet or a record store but they are very neatly organized in rubbermaid bins in the storage area okay so so that so that way no one's ever going to accuse me of anything um i'm never going to wear any of them again because you know in the 90s you wore like yeah do you do you have a triple xl oh yeah because oh, yep, i, I weigh it. a buck 50 yeah <laughs> but uh, come on you know 
but it's like I can't get rid of this shirt. Like no way. Like I can't. It was. It, it's like it's almost it. It's it, it's like having a photo album. You know. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, you, like you, all my flyers. I have every flyer from every show I went to between 1987 and 1996. I got them all. Wow. How yeah. do you store those? Uh, in a photo album. Wow. That takes a lot of dedication. That takes a lot of boredom. I grew up in the <laughs> middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania, man. I had, I had hardcore shows and drugs. That's what I had going for me. So... <laughs> And apparently a lot of downtime. And a lot of downtime. So if you're, if you're smoking weed at 2 o'clock in the morning, well, what do I do now? What else are you going to do? I'm going to yeah. take all my flyers. I'm going to put them in chronology. And I'm wow. Gonna put, yeah, dude. That's, that's some issues. I have, every, I have every sticker of every band like that I went to see back then, too. It's like, why? Why? Yeah. Once, but, a, once, in, a, once in a while, I'll go, yeah. I, no, I, I, no, I get it. Like, I, I have I have a hard time getting rid of that kind of stuff too, because it's, it's not just stuff. Like it's stuff that, that you were connected to. It's stuff that, that involves an experience that you had with a certain band or, you know, a show that you went to or record you listened to. Um, I, 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 I just recently went through an old shoe box. Um, full disclosure. I came across a seven second sticker that is probably 30 years old. Mm-hmm. And my first thought was, oh, dude, wow. I remember when you got this. What are you going to do with it? <sighs> and, then you, and then you can't think of like the most awesome place to put this seven-second sticker. So then you think, I'm just going to put it back in the box or maybe like, box. <laughs> one day it'll, it'll, it'll come to me and I'll have an idea, which will not happen. No, but, you're, uh, you're going to open the box in 20 years ago. I remember this sticker. <laughs> I remember this five secondes. <laughs> oh, they were a real hoot. <laughs> What's your name again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll happen. Run but, me, uh, motherfucker. <laughs> but yeah, but that'll be a good day when I do it. Like it's yeah. always, the thing is when you, when you go through old, old shoe boxes and you find stuff that you that you forgot you had the flood of memories just comes back and it reminds you of what an awesome experience that you had being part of the scene and being, uh, being a rebel, being an outcast, being a freak. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and then eventually it reminds you that, uh, you're doing okay and that you, you got through it and that ultimately you found, you found your place in the world so and then you're going to put it back in the box and then it, you're going to you know, go do something else. <laughs> and then when you're 90, they're like, oh, Lord, who's this three seconds? <laughs> but I look, I look forward to those days. If I see them, I, I'll, I'll definitely appreciate it. I'm sure. <laughs> But you're you're lucky though. You you're married to someone who gets that. You know, who's 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 from that ilk is is from that scene. My wife has no fucking clue. She mm. does it you, doesn't you, I will say sometimes. <laughs> but she uh, you know, she knows the bands. She's from that, you know, scene. It's it's not like, you know. Uh actually she uh not not really no um 
No, when we, well, uh, we, we met because of, uh, we met because of John Bunch's death. Oh, okay. Because uh, they had been good friends, very good friends, um, since high school, since, uh, a- along with, uh, she had been friends with uh, John and Chris and Rodney before Reason to Believe was even a band. So long before Sensefield was even a band, they were just friends. Um, and so she got involved in that scene. And um, uh, that's the reason why I moved out to Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when when they had the uh, the tribute show for uh, John Bunch in Philadelphia, uh, the Sensefield guys actually introduced us. And then it turned into a long-distance relationship, and that's what led me to eventually move out to here to be with her. Um but we've had this conversation so many times when I, and I would, you know, I, I didn't think I would be bragging, but she would bring up Sensefield and I'd say, yeah, we, you know, we, Farside and Sensefield played a lot of shows together. And she would say, are you sure? Cause I went to every Sensefield show. I don't remember you guys ever playing ever. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we were, we were friends. We, we, we were on the same record label for a while. We played a lot of shows together. Are you sure you played shows with? Yeah, I was there. Like I was in one of. I was in a band that played shows with Sensefield. Yeah, we were there. Huh. Well, I mean, I heard of you guys, but I don't remember ever seeing you play. And then, like three days later, are you sure you ever played a show with Sensefield? Yes, I can assure <laughs> you. I promise you. Yeah. So anyway, I'm just making a joke at my wife's expense because she's dealing with the cat that we just, uh, you know, that we're fostering right now. She she probably can't hear me anyway. Um, <laughs> for the most part, yeah, like like we're 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 kind of in. For the most part, we are we're involved in the same community, and uh, you know, we we had a lot of mutual friends, and that uh, I would say that would definitely help. So tell me about. Your wife having no concept? No, well, she just doesn't have uh, any context for it because she grew up, she was born here, but she moved to the the Dominican Republic when she was very small. And there's certainly not much of a hardcore scene going on in Santa. I mean, I met I met I met your wife the same time that you and I met, but we we didn't spend a whole lot of time together. Yeah, but she, you know, she knows about this stuff because of me i mean she knew mm. the, she knew the clash i think the the strangest in her mind that she got was probably guns and roses you know what i mean mm. it's just not really it wasn't really her thing now i, I she's an appreciator certainly yeah but, but my collection of these things and the the constant you know dredging up of these articles of clothing and babe look at this i got this when i was 12 yeah, throw it the uh-huh. fuck away. Like, <laughs> <laughs> do you have a spot for that? Did your grandmother buy it for you or something? No, get rid of it. Let it go. I didn't realize there was a quad XL size T-shirt. <laughs> huh. Why is that down to your knees right now? It was taller <laughs> then. <laughs> well, but but I mean, at the same time, I mean, does it really matter? I mean, if you if you find a connection and you can work with somebody, then uh, oh um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that's not the point. It's just her walking past my vast pile of shit and shaking her head and walking away in disgust. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't worry. Uh, I get the same from 
my wife, who was allegedly part of this scene, too. She's like, <laughs> "Why do you have this?" I'm like, "What? No, sweetie, that is that is a that is a Les Paul get get to, uh, never mind. I'll, I'll I'll put it somewhere else. <laughs> Hopefully, you never see it again. Mm-hmm. Now that you know you're at this point in the game." coming out with an, a record on rev again and you know it's coming out on vinyl i'm guessing and all like all yep. of this is happening is that going to spark a whole new kind of like need in your soul to have like every you know i gotta have this on every color because i'm on it and or, or yeah, less sentimental about the things that you do i find that that's normally the case with you know even myself anything i did i don't really care if i own it <laughs> Uh, well, I've, I've personally never been much of a, I've never been any, any kind of a collector. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I, I, I have records and another thing like my t-shirts, I I don't think I could ever get rid of them anymore that I could get rid of any one, uh, any piece of musical equipment that I've ever played on. Not that I own a lot. Um, but uh, I, I, I recognize that there are there are people who are really really into that kind of stuff. Um, I have to admit that I I know very little about it, and, and I <laughs> you know I, I don't know what's valuable and what's not valuable. Uh, I mean, if it, I have a I have a I have a Sylvania one of those Sylvania turntables, like one of those portable turntables mm-hmm. that has like a USB port. Um, and once in a while, I'll put on a, a record and, you know, light a fire in the fireplace and pour myself a libation and put on a, a robe and an ascot and sit there and <laughs> enjoy it. Um, but otherwise, uh, I, I have to admit, I'm, I appreciate vinyl, but I'm not a vinyl collector by any means. So it's difficult for me to speak to it. So uh, I don't know what the plan is as far as that stuff is concerned i think we're trying to be a little bit conservative about it because this upcoming release is going to be the first one that we've done as a band um and knowing revelation they're not going to say like let's press ten thousand copies of this uh record you know that's not going to happen either so um there i will say there are smarter people in the room than me who will make that decision and i can get back to you on that if you're interested well yeah i mean i'm just gonna buy it obviously but uh, like i I don't worry about worth it's just a matter of like if this was something that i enjoyed i usually buy it at least in duplicate it's a thing. Oh wow! Like one gets put away and not played. One gets played. I'm not one of these. Really? Yeah. I'm not. I'm not one of these collectors that buys things to sell them. That's not my thing. I buy it because I love it. But then I have one that I play, and I have one that I, I, you know, kind of. But you can wear out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You can one... brutalize it a little bit. You can enjoy the scratches of the needle on the record. Yeah, whereas the other one is the... It's never to be touched. It's the document. It should not be touched. (laughs) Hermetically sealed in a mason jar Mm -hmm. underneath the porch. (laughs) Yeah, I've known guys like you. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I get it. I I, I get it. I totally understand. There's a a sense of preservation, uh, history. Um, I totally, totally understand that uh it's just 
I don't have that in my brain. I, uh, it's, I mean, I have a, I have a, uh, this is probably going to give you a heart attack, but I have a copy of agnostic front victim and paid victim and pain. Um, first pressing on rat trap records. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of, it's just kind of sitting there. It's not hermetically sealed. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Does Harry know about this? Uh, I'm afraid to tell him because he might break into the house one night and try to lift it from me. Well, w- um, when he found out I had a, a Judge Chunking uh, vinyl, he, he was like, No way. He was like, wait, Number wait, one, wait. I don't. You, you have a Chunking can suck it? Yes. A t- wait, is it the 10 inch? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's it's right behind me. <laughs> How did you I have get it that? on the shelf, right? And I was just saying that I'm not really into vinyl, but I know what you're talking about. Like that was that's the stuff that legends are made of. That's wow. That's holy, that's holy grail shit. That is the highest selling record on Discogs to this day. Um, and I when I you get your wait, when I get your son's college fund taken care of. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Uh, that and my cough cool seven inch misfits cough cool. That's a first pressing, but that'd be the first one to go. Actually, the misfits wow. record I'd sell first, but uh, help, help me out with something. Um, so I was at my mom's uh, about a year ago and I was going through some old boxes and um, I found a chain of strength seven inch mm-hmm. might be first pressing. It was kind of warped. And so it's been sitting on my dresser for the last year, like under some books, so I can try to flatten it out. Mm-hmm. Um, just off the top of your head, like, uh, what do you think that would go for? I bet you, um, I have a machine that'll flatten that out, by the way, and it won't warp it. Um, but you could probably sell that for about maybe like 120 bucks. Uh, I'll it, just keep it then. If it's if it's first pressing, it's about 100, 120 Uh depending on who you run into you know what i mean mm. there, there are certain people that will spare no expense i sold a dead kennedy's t-shirt for 612 dollars <laughs> i get it yeah it, it's a hand it was a hand screened frankenchrist t-shirt that i got off of my oh, cousin man. who just gave it to me uh, when i was yeah. a kid and i sold it for a ton of money but wow it, it, it's all you could put that up on eBay. Maybe you get a grand. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It all yeah. depends on who yeah. you run across. Yeah. Gotcha. No. But there's Just one thing. Curious. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'll look into it for you. And, and if I find. Nah, there's no can... need. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't have kids that I have to send to college. I'm just trying to rescue cats. Well, yeah, but think about how many cats you could rescue if you had a cool grand laying around, you know? That's, that's true. But 120 bucks, that's like three days of crap food that's not going to do much right right but there's one thing i got to ask you because i ask everybody this because it's the only pre-prepared question i ever have for any episode and i ask everybody it so i'll ask you and it sounds trite but it's what i ask what is it that terrifies you on an existential level playing music (laughs) playing music terrifies you existentially yep Hence why you do it that. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I admit, I, I, uh, 
uh, I have my issues with uh, performance anxiety. Um, every time I'm about to go out there and do something, and I don't want to sound, I don't, I, I don't want to, I don't want to act like a, I, I don't want to put off any kind of woe is me kind of thing, but. Yeah, it scares the piss out of me, man. Like, I, I, and I, I'm hoping to God that the show gets canceled. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to do it. Um, yeah. um, but that's why I do it. Because I have to get myself out of my... I, I think it's healthy to get yourself out of your comfort zone. And I do my best to use my... Um, my nervousness and my anxieties and the butterflies in my chest to do well. And the thing is, once I'm once I committed to something, I'm I'm in there. And after the first thirty seconds of the first song, I'm great. But the funny thing is, I can't remember that. <laughs> so so every time something's coming up, like a recording session or a show or even rehearsal. I'm kind of freaking out a little bit. Um, so, yeah, uh, on on any kind of level, that is my biggest fear. Um, wow. Yeah, but uh, but I think uh, I I think it can. I think when you do your best to face those fears, it can bring the it can bring the best out of you, or at least I hope so. Um, I haven't been kicked out of this band yet, so I think that's a good. I think that's a good sign. <laughs> to me, that's uh, I, it's amazing to me to hear. I mean, I obviously get performance anxiety too when I'm going to play music in a live setting. But someone that I've been listening to for most of my life to say that it. it of course it's going to shock me a little bit because you, you would think, okay, that this guy, he's, he's got some kind of confidence going for him. He, he has all these records out. He's been in all these bands. I think, I think that, I think that goes for a lot of musicians. Uh, and I, and I, and I think it, and I, and, and I think it should, um, uh, not uh, at the risk of sounding super pretentious, which I probably will anyway, um, you are ultimately putting yourself out there. Yeah. Um, you, you're, you're, if you're really, really believing in what you're doing, you are putting all of it out there and you're, um, uh, you know, the, the lyrics that you're doing, the, um, the style of guitar that you're playing, the clothes that you wear when you're on stage, yeah. the moves that you're already thinking about before you get on stage all of that like it gets in your head and it's it can be frightening of course it can be and then now you have to do it in front of other people um <laughs> yeah it, it can uh, it can scare the bejesus out of you um and it's not even necessarily a matter of whether or not anybody's gonna like you like there could be nobody there but you are still there like you are still doing this and it's not always easy and i think i think when you reach the point where you can just kind of throw it away and be arrogant about it and be like ah eh, 
whatever I do is going to be cool, then you shouldn't be doing it. It just, I think there's something really vulnerable about, you know, sitting around with your friends and just making shit up. It's play, right? Yeah. It's just like when you're a kid and you're playing make believe with your buddies or playing with your GI Joes or whatever you did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but you're sitting around and you're creating something out of nothing with out of thin air, out of pure thin air, and then you have to recreate it and perform it for other people. That's nerve wracking. That's that's terrifying. Yeah. But when it goes over, it's the most exhilarating thing on earth. Can you think of a time though where it didn't go over and you did kind of feel like, oh fuck? What did I just do? Oh, yeah. It just happened a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. At our, at our, uh, we, we, yeah, at our, our, our very first, uh, you know, and this is just, this is just me getting in my stupid brain. Um, our first performance for calling hours, our first actual performance was on a morning lifestyle TV show at a local, uh, television station in harrisburg you know the shows i'm talking about where oh, they're yeah. like okay so uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna come up with some new um recipes for uh tapas <laughs> and then calling hours is gonna come out and then they're gonna play a little song for us <laughs> yeah so that was a, that was our first actual performance uh on live television uh i'm not ashamed to admit that uh about three minutes before we went on, I they were like, "Okay, you guys about ready?" And I said, "Mm-hmm." And I speed walked to the men's room and violently regurgitated everything that I had eaten for breakfast. Oh god! And then and then came back as quickly as possible, and I was like, "All right, let's do this." <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I, I I didn't feel like I I I didn't feel like I sounded that good, um, probably because. The night before, the thing is, calling hours. We we have we had never played, even though we recorded a record, we had never played a full song in the same room together at the same time until the night before that television appearance. I I drove out from Scranton to Harrisburg, and we went into our guitar player Tom's basement, and that was like the first time we ever like really like played together as a band, like really played together. And I probably overdid it because I was a little too excited and a little, a little too fired up. And so then the next morning we had to show up at the TV studio at eight 30 in the morning, which, you know, is the perfect hour for <laughs> fucking post hardcore. Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah. And then we, you know, and, and also I'm, I don't play an instrument. I just sing. So everybody else is setting up and doing important things and I'm just standing there. Oh man. Nothing to do with your hands. Nothing at all. And I'm, and I'm just, I'm just kind of wandering around and like, okay, it's cool. Or is it cool? I don't know what I'm doing here. These guys are way better than me. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Um, And then I went and threw up and then we went out and we did the song. And so I was a little raspy. I could have hit those notes a little harder. Um, so as a rollout, uh, probably not the best, uh, probably not my, probably not my favorite debut, but then again, how many hardcore people are up at 10 o'clock in the morning looking to hear some 
calling hours. Looking to hear some music from the band I never heard of in the first place. So I guess it wasn't that bad. Well, and no. then I, and then I promptly went to sleep after that and slept for about twenty four hours. And then I <laughs> <to the next> show. <laughs> it didn't happen at a show. I think that's probably the 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 prescient point here is you know you weren't in front of you know a room full of your peers and fallen flat on your face it was just a tv yeah. studio thing you know yeah yeah i suppose yeah but uh, just if, if we're talking if we're talking about at least recent memory that just came into that just came into mind yeah it's, uh, <laughs> it will well now that it's on video it will live on in infamy and <laughs> and now you know that and, and now, now you know the backstory while you can see the bags under my eyes and the the sweat pouring off of my brow and uh, you know, but I don't regret any of it. You know, get yourself out of your comfort zone. Go do things that are going to be weird and absurd. Go do it. <laughs> you can't say no to that kind of stuff. You just can't. I I, I guess you're right. I mean, I've been embarrassing myself uh, pretty much since I was twelve. In front of people on <laughs> at least a, a weekly basis uh, up until about three years ago, so I, I get it. I understand. You know, well, I'm glad you feel like you got. I'm glad you feel like you got to a place where you're not embarrassing yourself anymore. I, I haven't yet to achieve that, but uh, good for you. Well, I mean, alcohol is certainly a social lubricant, my friend. I mean, I was never. I was. Ne <laughs> If you haven't gleaned this from the conversation yet, I've never been straight edge. It was never my thing. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was always an animal rights guy, but I was always a, a garbage head. I drank, I did drugs, I still smoke pot, so what? And yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I just, I always had to do a little something in order to perform because mm -hmm. I, I know if I didn't, it would end badly. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah, now, don't, yeah, kid. I'm glad, son. I'm glad you're asleep. Dad is not a a a, a piece of shit. I swear. But, <laughs> you know, I was I was always I was always a fun guy. What can I say? <laughs> There's something to be said about that. Sure. I, I think as long I think as long as you show up where when and where you're supposed to show up, I, I think that's isn't that isn't that what they used to say? Like success. Uh, ninety percent of sh of success is showing up. Well, kind of, but uh, yeah, having all but of the your faculties. But, uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's a, yeah. I mean, the very not very recently, but a few years ago, I I was I was drinking and my band was playing, and then Harry started on stage pouring booze down my throat, <laughs> and. There was a photographer from a local newspaper in the audience, and my wife is standing there going, don't do what I think you're going to do. And I did it anyway, and I ran directly out into the crowd and into this poor girl who was the photographer and knocked her to the ground. I didn't mean to do it. I was just blind drunk. Sure. And she, Joey <laughs> got a phone oh, call from, from, the, from the newspaper. Your singer is an asshole. He, he, he knocked our photographer down on the ground. We're not going to write a piece about you guys. So <laughs> maybe the moral of the story is don't let Harry know you're playing a show if you're going <laughs> to, but definitely, definitely let Joey Solomini know that you're playing a show because he's, he's, he's the sweetest guy and he will, uh, he'll, he'll, you know, 
mean, that guy's all hugs. That guy's great. Oh, well, why do you think I've been playing in a band with him forever? I mean, <laughs> good point. Yeah. Joey is definitely uh, beauty personified. Um, I wish I could be more like that, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm super jealous of his hair every time I see him. I don't, I don't have any, so uh, I'm jealous. Uh, of, I'm jealous of your hair. I'm jealous of everybody's hair. <laughs> but, oh, because we have it. I get it. Yeah, yeah, you fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I just got my hair cut by uh, uh, Keith Barbeauty at uh, oh, Loyalty Keith. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, Keith rules, man. I grew up with Keith. Well, I grew up with everybody in this area, but what am I talking about? It's a big incestuous party. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm kind of I'm new to the party, so I'm trying to mingle a little. Well, bit. you're you're already you're already a, a, an honorary Scrantonian, if not. Uh... I've been here five years. I mean, at what point do I get my badge of honor? You're in. You're already in. Okay, cool. Thanks, you're, Dave. You're already in. Uh, I, if no one's christened it yet, I, I'm I am breaking <laughs> the champagne off the bow right now. You are. <laughs> Popeye, you are a Scrantonian at this point. Forget, Thanks, man. Forget, forget California. It's over. <laughs> Just don't get Lyme disease while you're here and you're good. Doing my best. <laughs> no promises, but I'm doing my best. I, I do have to ask, though, how are you finding our fine little hillbilly uh, city, as it were? Oh, I love it. Um, I, yeah, as, as, as I mentioned earlier, my my wife is also from uh, California. Mm. Um, we love it. We we love getting the Four Seasons. Um, we've got this lovely house that we could never afford if we were in California. Um, we're surrounded by. We're, we're, yeah, I know someone was calling. Sorry. Um, we're nestled up in the hills of this like village kind of area, and it's really woodsy and. There's birds and uh, squirrels and raccoons and possums that are running around all the time. And, um, oh, the birds, man. Like, we get blue jays and cardinals and orioles. All the major league teams are represented out here. Uh, it's really <laughs> it's really spectacular. And and we have all this, we, we've got a lot of room for the animals, and that's a priority for us. Um, and we're we're weather nerds, so we we love it when it like you get real rainstorms here in California. If you get like a drizzle, everybody freaks out, and then there's like accidents all over the place. Um, but out here, people know how to handle it, and you get and and you get like real like thunderstorms and lightning storms, and um, and we just kind of stand there in our bathrobes with our martini glasses, looking out the window thinking well good thing we don't have to go out there <laughs> <laughs> all thurston howell and shit yes very much so yeah so we dig it i will say that uh my two least favorite things in the world are raking leaves and shoveling snow mm -hmm. um but i do my best to find a way to get out of doing both of those things as much as possible um the snow melts pretty quickly uh and, uh, and then I try to look up articles about like, you know, if you leave, if you leave the, if you leave the leaves on the grass, it's good for the grass. Yeah. <laughs> or so I've read it insulates them. No, just, just no, we're not going to, we're not going to rake leaves today. <laughs> <laughs> that only works if you don't have dogs. 
Yes, and uh, maybe that's why we don't have dogs. Yeah, because they get fleas. Yeah, but otherwise, uh, no. Uh, all jokes aside, we we dig it. It's a. Uh, it is definitely. Uh, you know, Los Angeles is very. Um, it's very transient, which is part of what makes it a great place to live. But as opposed to a place like here in Scranton, pretty much everybody is from here, and they're. Mm-hmm you know, their parents and their grandparents and their grandparents, great grandparents are from here and people have more roots here. And it seems to be very much more community oriented than it would be in many other places. And we dig that. Like, you know, they had like every borough has a, a fair yeah, and a fireworks show on the 4th of July. Like it's just, and there's small, there's a fireworks show happening right now. I don't know if you can hear that somebody, or maybe that's just somebody with a shotgun. That know. could be somebody with a shotgun. That's it's probably that. Yeah, you're probably <laughs> you're probably right. You're a little late for Memorial Day, bro. Um, but otherwise, it's cool. Dan Count Scranton's. Uh, it's it's really charming. You know, we like the architecture, and it's very walkable. Um, you know, there's a there's a good selection of uh, organic and vegan foods that we can find. That's that's recent, I have to say. Being vegan in this area 15, 20 years ago was nigh impossible. <laughs> I, yeah. It, it, hey, I could tell I could tell you it was it, it wasn't that much different in California either. Um uh man, I can tell you like vegan cheese like fifteen, twenty years ago was like oh, eating wet, soggy cardboard. Like like just don't like just starve yourself to death. You'd probably be more satisfied. Yeah, I used I used to spend summers in San Francisco with my uncle, and I remember because he was vegan way back then. Uh, and it wow, was, yeah, it was it was like back in the eighties. He was he got he wow. came back from Vietnam and became a Buddhist. And oh wow, well yeah, he's, no kidding. He's the he's the impetus for all that I became. Thankfully, because I had my my wonderful late father who was a vietnam veteran as well but went the other way and he didn't get it he made me go hunting and you know i just like being in the woods with him but i certainly didn't want to kill anything but you know i had my uncle on the other hand and i would take off with him and you know he and my aunt would you know they they turned me on to culture and the first time i heard oh wow the first time i heard the clash I went to see the clash with opening for the who with my uncle and my dad, uh, changed absolutely everything in my life. Um, you know, it was combat rock tour. I was very young. I was probably nine years old and you know, I was a punk since then, (laughs) but yeah, that's where, where I get animal rights from. That's the, that's the birth of it all. And, and what I was into so what that was leading me into, though, was like, what was your first bite of that apple? What was it that kind of opened the door for you to kind of get into this stuff, as it were? Um, uh, mostly, I have an older brother and an older sister who were cooler than me, <laughs> and they had really cool friends. And so they would they would bring records home from their friends and put them on the family hi-fi. And I would just sort of peek my head out the door and, you know, you you want to be, you think your older brother and your older sister are cool and you want to be cool like them. And, um, 
Uh, specifically, I remember um, The Clash's first album and The Jam in the City and Oingo Boingo, Only a Lad mm-hmm. were records that my brother and sister brought home. And, and, I, and I, had, I had no concept of what was going on. Uh, I, I literally had no idea what was happening, but something just drew me in. Um, part of it, I, I will admit, had to do with uh, I just wanted to try to be cool like my older brother and my older sister. But at the same time, something just spoke to me about it. I didn't understand any of the lyrics that were <laughs> being sung, but I just I love the energy and I I, uh, I I love the rebelliousness of it. And I was only like ten years old, but I was just I was just digging it. It took a few years before I really uh, kind of embraced trying to look like a punk because you know you don't want to be one of those overnight guys who, um, you know, last day of school you're a deadhead and then you come back freshman year the next year and you have a mohawk. Like I didn't want to be one of those guys, so I tried to be gradual about it. Um, but uh, little by little, I got more and more into it, and and that's kind of how I learned a lot about a lot about music, just, uh, just kind of studying it and, uh, nerding out on it. And, uh, and eventually started to learn how to teach myself how to play guitar and, uh, teach myself how to sing. And, uh, I mean, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know if this is enough to, I, I don't know if this is a really interesting conversation to be honest with you, because it's just like, I don't know. I, I have no answers. I, I just, you just kind of, you just did it. You just, you followed something and you just kind of went for it. Well, I, it is interesting because everyone kind of wants to know where it came from. You know what I mean? Like, where did, where did it start? What's the, that kernel? Yeah. That- I, I, I don't, I don't have one there. there I, I, I could tell you that there was not one specific pivotal moment that, changed my life forever it that that's never existed for me um, well, i disagree because if you're sticking your head out of a door listening to okay your, well maybe that's it <laughs> or, or their siblings you know like discovering these incredible records which you know i guess to someone who doesn't wrap their whole life up in music it, it, maybe it wouldn't be interesting but for anyone listening to this show they're definitely going to like it because obviously we all have a similar story right like I had a friend yeah. who made me a mixtape. I had this, I had that. I ended up at a concert that I had no business being at, you know, but I had a hippie uncle and uh, my dad who was just way into the who, and that's how it all went down. But it's always, it's always from someone else. You know what I mean? You don't just, yeah. stum- you don't stumble on this on your own. No one does. Even if it's on a radio station, someone programmed that radio station, that radio show. Someone put that record on. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I totally understand that. I, I guess, uh, uh, I just have to kind of respectfully disagree with you because <laughs> there, there, there was not, there was not, there was not one specific pivotal moment that changed my life. Um, it wasn't like I, I can honestly say, I don't know how any of this happened. I literally don't know how 
I got to do any of this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. like to this day, like I, I don't get it. Uh, I, 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 I can assure you that I never sought out to be anybody of any kind of significance or importance to anyone. I'm greatly appreciative that uh, there are people that found stuff that that I did and that farce I did and other bands that I did matter to them. But I promise you, <laughs> I, I was more concerned about other things. I was just like, just doing stuff. Um, uh, so, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be about um, rounding a corner. It can also be about, going through a gradual curve if that makes sense sure yeah so this curves because i because i still absolutely love huey lewis in the news like why would absolutely you? love why who wouldn't sport is a great record oh my god go back even further they had great stuff before that like yeah oh um yeah you just uh, uh, yeah, I, I I can't. I don't think big. I just I never have, uh, and uh, I just kind of do what's happening there, and I try to stay committed to it as much as possible. Um, but uh, no, if if you were to put me on the spot, like if you were to you were to say what's your favorite song, I would give you like thirty. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> or what's your favorite movie? Uh, I can give you like fifty, and they're all gonna be the same because they're all gonna be, they're all gonna be my favorite in some way or shape or form. And um, the same applies to what took me in my musical path. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you why. Like to this day, I uh, I often take a step back and ask myself, like, wait, what are you doing right now? Because. <laughs> Because I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, like I'm just, I, you just kind of do it. Um, um, you do it because you love it. You do it because you feel a connection to it. Uh, you feel a certain passion to it in that particular moment, um, and then you just try to move forward with it. But, uh, um, but then at the end of the day, this is the thing that I was. I hope keeps me grounded is that at the end of the day, I'm always thinking, okay, uh, what do I need to pick up at the grocery store? Um, what bills need to be paid? Uh, do I have an appointment? Do you have an appointment? So <laughs> I guess I, 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 I guess it's, it's not a matter of like consciously trying to keep it compartmentalized. It's just, that's, where my mind is um i barely think of myself as a musician i just think of myself as a guy that that has played in some bands but that's that's what sets this thing apart too like if i were to say let's pick a name out of a hat axel rose because my wife loves guns and roses axel rose that guy knows his importance right yeah. is he's on an, his own little ego trip and thinks everything he does is vastly important and he's up his own ass. So 
yes, a majority of people will listen to his music, but they're not invested in him, right? It's yeah. just it's just a matter of like, oh, I know that song from when I was a kid, so I like this. There's no sure. there's no real emotional investment from a, a subculture of human beings ar- around that band, right? It's just hits. It's just the machine. Whereas Farside has the people who love Farside really fucking love Farside. Still, <laughs> still have still have a thirty year old hat in a bin. <laughs> yeah. That is not the color it was when they bought it. Probably yeah. over thirty. God, I don't even remember how old I am now. Forty something, forty eight, forty seven, somewhere. In there. <laughs> and and you know what I mean. Like that's what rarefies it. That's what keeps it personal and and keeps it honest. You know, so yeah. if you were to say, yeah, I know how important I was because I did this, that, and the other, then, you know, what? why would I like what you have to say or what you did? I wouldn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It'd be something else. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's my attitude as well. Yeah, that that's when it becomes cult of personality shit. That's, that's why people who suck vote for Trump because they like that, <laughs> you know, that's so someone who's like, oh, like ultra self-aware, someone who's fully engaged in who they are and what they do. I don't like that guy. I know people who are like that in real life and I can't stand them. Yeah, I don't want that as well. I don't, I, I wouldn't attach myself to someone who created music on that level. It just wouldn't resonate with me. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then the stones, then, then okay, I forgive it because it's <laughs> fucking stones. But outside of that, you know, well, yeah, once they can get out of their walkers, if they can just do whatever they can do, <laughs> I don't listen as to if them the Rolling Stones the are gonna hear this, like they're not like, no, Oi, you just go, boy, <laughs> fucking talking <laughs> shit. I fucking like Rochambeau. Fuck, man. <laughs> the fuck? We were just about to ask him a guy, too. <laughs> what? <laughs> fuck. In an alternate universe, that's happening right now because you spoke it. Think about it. Quantum physics. There it is. <laughs> you spoke well, that shit. It's happening. Okay. If you say so. <laughs> Listen, I. To wrap this up, uh, yeah, I think it's time to go because we're just spinning out of control right now. We are, but I, I love it. This is when it gets good. But <laughs> all right, I will talk to you soon then. All right, brother, good to see you. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I really, really appreciate it. I hope you know that I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate that you came on. Believe me. All right, have a good night. Talk to you later. Okay, bye. There you have it, folks. My conversation with Popeye. We obviously had a blast together. Um, you know, we were we were getting pretty deep into uh, our own vibe and whatnot. But uh, on behalf of all of us, he's been Popeye of Calling Hours. I've been Peter. You've been beautiful. This has been the book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. Good night, everybody.